Occasional podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. I'm Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dalwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. This week we're going to be following up our episode on the top three Call of Cthulhu spells to talk about our top three spells from elsewhere. Hang on a minute, I thought we were going to be doing a track fish. I thought that was the deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fundamentally we can bypass all of this by just by porting a tracked fish to other games. Yeah, I, I didn't think that could be the top three of all-time spells from everywhere else. Yeah. Well, that, 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 I mean, all we, all we need to do is just change the stat blocks. You know, there's a few bits of mechanics, and yeah, we're away. I'm not going to join in with this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes... Um, we, we've each gone away, looked at some of our favourite games, some of our favourite spells in there, and um, I think we're going to talk about them. That's the plan. Yeah, indeed. Okay, let's talk. Uh, See how what? many I can tr- steal. Many I can steal from your list this yeah, time. Yeah, that, that's why Paul's going first this time because that means he go last. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's very little chance that we're going to steal each other's spells in this one. Yeah, but let's not take a chance here. <laughs> no, okay. not 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 with Spellthy Sanderson on the case. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Okay, well, my first spell is from Ars Magica, uh, and it's called, and it's very much for the name that I chose it, because I think it's a very evocative name, um, and the name is Whispers Through the Black Gate, uh, and it allows the user to, um, to contact the spirit of a recently deceased uh, corpse. And the reason I like it so much, if it was just called Talk to the Dead, or something... Um, fairly obvious like that. Yeah, we, then which, I think it's really... the equivalent D and D spell is actually called. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's it's like we talked about some of the Call of Cthulhu spells. You know, Call Azathoth or whatever. They're, they're just very bland names. Um, I think some of the poetry of the names brings a lot to it. So, if we think about whispers through the black gate, the first thing it brings to mind for me is that whispers implies that if you listen hard enough, you can hear the dead talking, which is creepy. Um, the fact that they're through a gate implies that something that can open and close and that we can pass from the land of the living to the land of the dead. And I, I picture it as kind of a, a black portcullis and we're, we're kind of drawing up close to it. They're whispering, so we have to get really close and that puts us in danger. And indeed, are we on the inside of the portcullis or on the outside of the portcullis kind of listening in or, or are they whispering into us? Um, so just within that one name, it just kind of gives a really great feel of uh, the, the spirit of the spell and, and kind of feeds your imagination, I think, which is what good spell names should do. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, Ars Magica must be full of great spells just by the nature of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's full of great spells and um, it has the whole capacity for uh, improvised magic, uh, which is a, a large part of the, the, the mechanics of it. It just occurred to me, I mean, we're assuming everyone who's listening is actually familiar with Ars Magica. Do you just want to say something quickly about it? Yeah, so Ars Magica is a kind of a pseudo-medieval um, Britain, well, or Europe, 
uh, game in which the player characters play several different characters. So they play Magi, the, the wizards, and they are more powerful than um, everyone else. It's, it's not. It doesn't try and put the characters on a par with each other like Dungeons and Dragons. So the Magi are the powerful characters. Then you're, you're kind of bog standard fighters and defenders are called Grogs, and as the name kind of implies, that you know they they can be pretty, you know, tough and good at fighting, but they're just soldiers. Um, they're never anything more than that. And each player, uh, when I played it, each player I think created a Grog or two, and we just kind of. Um, you know, hand them around and some people would end up playing the same one a few times and somebody else might play it. And then there's a kind of a tier between the Magi and the the, uh, the Grogs called Companions. And these might be the um, the chief of the Grogs. They might be a herbalist. They might be a lord. Um, um, somebody who's particularly well-skilled in something that isn't a wizard, but isn't just a, a base fighter. So everybody had... Um, a magi, their own magi, everybody had their own companion and there was a pool of grogs to draw from. And that allowed you to, to split the group up um, and play different groups, uh, you know, in the game at the same time. Which is, uh, and then there's the whole thing about the covenant and the kind of base where the, where the magi make their home. Um, so yeah, a great game structure. Yeah, yeah, I've only played it a few times, but uh, in the magic system in particular, which you know obviously is the raison d'être of the, the the game, it really shines. Mm. You know, the, the the way it adds you know mechanical structure to being able to improvise magic is great. Yeah, yeah, you've got um, um, five aspects of uh, creation, destruction, manipulation, and so on, with all with with kind of Latin names, and then the the ten kind of ingredients of fire, earth, air. Uh, and, and so on yeah. um, and then you just combine one of each so you can have creo ignum uh, create fire and then you just add a bit of colour and you're away yeah yeah, yeah it's really quite cool uh, Ars Magic has been on my list to play for a long time but never actually got a chance to play it yeah it's one of the games that I always wanted to run a long fantasy campaign and that was the one that I kind of ended up running for quite quite a number of years oh. My first one is is from one of my favourite games of recent years, uh, which is Monster Hearts. Um, Monster Hearts, it's um, a game of supernatural romance or complicated relationships amongst teenage monsters. Um, And uh, it's a a, a delightfully dark and twisted game and brings in a lot of emotional aspects that you don't normally see in role-playing games. Um, But there's... There's one spell that I've seen come up a few times uh, in campaigns, and you know we we, we joked uh, when we were talking about the Cthulhu spells about Kor Lazathoth being the destroyer of campaigns. Well, this is almost the Monster Hearts equivalent. Um, Monster Hearts has got um, it's these skins. They're sort of like character classes, um, which give you a template for your character, and then you customise it accordingly. Um, and each one is based on certain classic types of monsters or supernatural creatures. And one of the ones uh, that came out uh, as, as an addition to the original game was the Selkie, uh, taken from Celtic mythology. Uh, these these people, uh, or these these creatures who you know, are like seals within the, skin, the sea but take the, the skin off and can appear on land to be human. 
Um, and the Silkies are fantastic because you know they they're sort of trying to understand what it's you know being human is about. They they can sort of fit into human society, but it's all a bit strange to them. And they've got this connection to the sea, um, and they have an understanding of the sea. The sea becomes a character in the game. Um, and there is this move, this spell that the the, the Selkie has called Ocean's Breath. Ocean's Breath. Um, allows the Selkie, when they feel homesick, um, uh, they, they, they roll and try to talk to the sea um, to try to solve some of their problems. And they can ask the sea two things. They can ask the sea to try to make them feel better uh, by uh, bringing forth something that the sea thinks they need. Um, or they can ask the sea to take a problem or something that feels bad away from them. Um, and the, the way this works, it uses the same basic mechanics as Apocalypse World. You roll a couple of uh, d6s, you add the appropriate attribute to it, and depending on the result you get, you know something always happens. But you know, how advantageous that is depends on how well you roll. Uh, if on your two d6 plus, you know the, your, your stat, you get a ten plus, then you know it all goes without hitch. I, the, the GM still gets to decide what the C brings or takes away, but it's all fairly clear cut. On a seven to nine. Um, you can uh, choose that. Yeah, again, that the sea brings you something, or the sea takes something away. But the ocean doesn't quite understand the human world and causes serious or unexplainable damage in the process. There was a campaign of Monster Hearts that I ran at the club a while back, uh, and there was a selkie that was played by Anthony in this. The selkie's name was Serena, I think, and um, Serena's lover was uh, hospitalised. Um, and basically bad things were happening in the hospital you know, and um, you know, all, all sorts of people were getting into trouble there you know, bad things in general were going on and it was all focused on the hospital and um, at some point you know, Serena asked the sea to try to you know, help with this problem and decided that she wanted it to take something away Anthony rolled and he got a 7 or an 8 and so, you know, it's open to me to interpret what the sea is going to take away. And, you know, I chose the, the option that it does great or unexplainable damage in the process. And it decides to take the hospital away. Um, so, you know, I mean, there, there was this tsunami comes in, slams into the, the hospital, uh, floods the whole thing. We had about, you know, half that session with everyone just trying to, you know, keep control of the chaos in the hospital as it was flooding and bits of it were getting pulled out to sea and... Um, and you know there, there was massive loss of life in this. That you know this came. You, you play uh, Monster Hearts and Seasons like seasons of a TV show, and this came right at the end of a season anyway. So you know we we, we had that finish up, and then the second season was all about dealing with all the restless dead souls who had been killed in this incident and were still hanging around town. That was great. Um, so yeah, I mean, like like some of the ones we talked about in Call of Cthulhu. The, the, this is. You know, a spell that just creates the game for you. You know, as soon as that comes into play, you know interesting things will happen. I must admit, I've never been sold on Monster Hearts yet, and I still, it's still yet to be sold. But oh, well. it's, it's an amazing game. Seconded. I think it's marvellous. Uh, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be the odd one out. Right. Thankfully, uh, no one's uh, taken my shtick and stolen, uh, stolen my first choice yet, or any of my choices. Um, I've gone to, back to my first love, the first game I ever played, and gone back to Vampire the Masquerade, um, particularly to Clan Giovanni. Uh, the 
power that the Giovanni have, necromancy, is divided into two, fa- two particular factors. You have the discipline side of necromancy, which, like all, all vampires in the game, have disciplines, effectively, in inverted commas, powers that, of the blood that they can draw upon. Um, each clan has three. The other two they have is potent, so extra strength, and dominate the ability to control minds. Um, but necromancy is where, where all the real fun is. Uh, like Thaumaturgy for the Tremere, necromancy is split say, between discipline and rituals. So each level of a given power that you have in necromancy gives you an associated ritual that you can draw upon. Whereas necromancy, the discipline, is fire and forget, a bit like just, say, power and in inverted commas. Rituals are more spells. Um, one particular spell that they have in there, or one particular level 2 ritual, um, the title isn't particularly brilliant, but then the effect of what it does, and mainly because of one of the anecdotes I can remember from one game that just had the GM scream, they did what? Uh, it's called Spirit Beacon. Uh, essentially, you take the severed head of someone, as it describes in um, the book... There's there's no way that a spell that starts off with you take the severed head of can can, can be dull. That's that's what you want every spell to start with. (laughs) To attract fish, you first... (laughs) (laughs) You first piss in a bathtub. Uh, This this requires the head of a man forsaken by God. Obviously, this also depends on what your definition of forsaken by God is. Uh, in this case, actually, I'd, um, I think the the German question wasn't wor- worried about whether it was a man or woman because I, I remember that my poor little Dunser in one of the Giovanni subfamilies actually took um, the head of a prostitute in a Tesco car park. <laughs> um, <laughs> Paul's looking particularly eyes <laughs> eyebrows raised at this. Did, did he get club card points? <laughs> no, funnily enough, um, not the kind of thing they have um, have on dis- um, have on deals at that time. But it was in response to walking into a live game of uh, Vampire the Masquerade back in Reading, way back in the day, where we had well over probably a couple of hundred players playing in a, in a regional event at that time in the Camarilla Society. That um, It was being run at the same time that the Wraith game was being run in the same event. And part of the premise that they'd set up for Wraith was that the whole area was basically swamped with spectres. Uh, effectively think monster wraiths um, ones that are taken over by their shadow and one of the disciplined sides of necromancy they had in Ashpath was to peer across the other side and just make sure that there's nothing out there that's going to harm us and so the GM kind of looks at me and says let me just confirm with the wraith wraith and I'll get back to you mm-hmm. comes back a few minutes and says yeah it's just black what do you mean black? well you know that kind of effect when you see like hordes of ravens in this case just insert rape spectre for the word raven so I panic run to go and get my Giovanni brethren and say, look, what, what the hell's happening out there? Something something big and bad's going down and we have to clear the area now. I thought, hang on a minute. Spirit Beacon can do this. And I'd never used the power up until now. It's just, oh, I've got two levels of necromancy. I have to pick a ritual from the book, so I picked that one. Over the severed head, you cast this ritual, at which point it becomes like a magnet to all wraiths in the area. <laughs> Effectively, it shines this um, this glow over the Shadowlands, and any any wraith that sees it, not just with an area effect, anything that sees the thing is drawn to it, like a moth to a light bulb. Exactly. So I just wandered into the into the game after having gone out to the local car park, killed a prostitute, ripped her head off, come back to the, come back to the game, walking this thing around um, around the edge of the room, just going, this should attract every spectre in the area, getting some very odd looks, and then walk back out the back out the room again. Um, walked across the other side of Reading and threw it in the local Nihil, which in Wraith is effectively a large whirlpool vortex back down to Oblivion. 
and promptly destroyed the Wraith plot for the game. They're going to be happening later <laughs> that evening. As, as the, the Wraith ref, when, um, when the vampire ref told him, oh, one of my Giovanni's done this, you just heard the, you did what? <laughs> screamed across the whole room. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, all these stories of moral panic surrounding role players. Well, I, I think a big part of why they come up is because we will blithely <laughs> say things like, like I, wa- I, I walked out of the game, killed a prostitute, took a head yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the Tesco car park, put it in a bag, went back to the game. But that's a yeah. normal Friday night in Reading. What are you complaining about? <laughs> True, fair point. <laughs> but, but yes, yes, you, you are what's wrong with the world. You are the person the Daily Mail warned us about, Matt. <laughs> Oh, that was me thinking I'm just a spell stealer. Oh, well. <laughs> well, mainly for the for mainly for the hilarity that you can get away with using a fairly low level ritual. That's that was the first on my choice of a spirit beacon. <laughs> nice. So, did they let you back again? Uh, I actually think I uh, one of our Giovanni cohorts almost got himself promoted as a justicar uh, when he tried to enter the Camarilla after that kind of stunt. <laughs> we just we just got um, we just freed you from this impending doom. Be grateful. Okay, we'll be grateful. <laughs> My second spell isn't actually from a game, or it could be from a game, but uh, it's actually from a story. It's from Lord of the Rings. Oh, we've got Middle-earth role-playing game. We've got the Lord of the Rings role-playing game. We've we got have. one ring. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's from when the characters are in Moria um, and Gandalf leave... Well, they, they leave Gandalf to face the Balrog, um, un- unbeknown that it's the Balrog at that point, in the, uh, in the room. And uh, he... They hear him up above kind of yelling and then he comes down to join them and he talks about having cast a a shutting spell on the door um, but the door is kind of burst asunder and he says how the counter spell was terrible and I just like the the way that uh, that, that, the the whole idea of counter spells is is kind of brought in even though, you know, lock door in D&D, was it called lock door? Something like that. that, Yeah, Yeah. Um, it's a pretty mundane spell there's not much to that really, again it just does what it says on the can Um, but having some kind of monster or sorcerer on the other side of the door that can summon up a counter spell and there's kind of a a duel, a magical duel going on, because often this is something that's left out of of, uh, of, of role playing Mm. magic is the idea that there's we have fights with swords or, or fists. We don't really have fights with magic. You know, you might cast fireball or magic missile, but it's kind of very much a, a I throw something at you, you throw something at me kind of yeah. thing, rather than the, the dueling of, of magic and powers back and forth. There is exactly that concept in Mage the Awakening. Is there? Yeah, called the Jewel Arcane, uh, the Jewel Arcane ah. which you do fight with magic. You're, well, you use your levels of arcana, or in my old-speaking ascension spheres, you choose one as your shield and one as your sword, and you attack with just the levels of your magic. But there is also the counter spell in there, because it's a prime option. And with Death 5, you can also kill any spell. Mm, nice. Yeah, because, it, I mean, it's a, a fairly essential part of the literature and of myth and legend as well, but I mean... So yeah, there's one of the Scots fairy legends that involves um, uh, something very much like this. I, I think it's Tamlin. But it's got a magical duel um, that is basically done through shape-shifting, but you know, it's the classic, you know, you become fire, I become water. Yeah. Um, you know, you become a fly to get away, I become a spider to travel ah, the yeah. web. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's Tamlin that that, that happens in. Rings and, and yeah, again, it's not something I've ever really seen turn up in a game, but it's, it's a fairly classic fantasy and fairy tale trope. And actually, it's done pretty well in the Harry Potter films. 
particularly when they're in duels with Voldemort or whatever, uh, they have this kind of, they're both pointing at ones at each other and there's this kind of wavy line of kind of um, magical fire or energy kind of waving between the, um, between the two wands and the power is kind of shifting back and forth and there's this kind of um, arcing and sparking and melting and flowing like something sort of half alive. My next spell is from um, a game that's been around for about 10 years and is one of my favourites. I've had more fun with this game over the last 10 years than... Uh, or as we call it, a new game. <laughs> yes. But, but I've had more kind of just kick-ass fun at the table with this game than anything else I can think of. Um, <clears throat> and that's... Uh, well, it's, it's changed names during that time and has just changed names again. Um, but uh, it was originally called Dread, the first book of Pandemonium. Oh, right. Uh, then, <clears throat> uh, because Dread was also used as the name for the Jenga game, which everyone knows, it became known as Scorn, the first book of Pandemonium, last year. Um, but there's now a compendium edition of that in the second book of Pandemonium, uh, which was released yesterday, uh, which under the name Pandemonio. Um, oh, yeah, I've seen the photos for it. Yeah. So... Um, <clears throat> but yes, yes, um, uh, Dread or Scorn or Pandemonium or whatever you want to call it, uh, is, uh, a, a fantastic game of, of demon hunting. Uh, you're basically playing a bunch of people who at some point had some kind of supernatural encounter, turned out to be demonic, uh, barely survived and had this mentor figure come in and turn you into something more than human. And now you go out and you fight demons with the most disgusting disgusting, vile array of magic that uh, you can imagine. No wonder you like it. Yes, yes, it, it <laughs> is horrible. Um, yeah, horrible in all the right ways. Uh, and <clears throat> there's one spell in particular uh, that, that always just sticks in my mind. It's the one that I throw out as an example every time I'm telling people about Dread. And it's a spell called Viscera. Um, it's, it's a straight combat spell. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one... Yeah, where uh, you're basically trying to bolster yourself going into a hand-to-hand fight. And the way you do it is you cast it on yourself and your stomach bursts open. Um, and as, as it bursts open, all your intestines come out. Um, but they're not intestines at this point anymore. They basically turn into lampreys, serpents and tentacles. Yeah, they'll be just rewind a bit as your stomach. Yes. yes. <laughs> Okay, yeah. just, just want to make that clear. It's your stomach. Yeah. Right. And basically your intestines burst forth and start eating things around you. Um, I, I, there's a little kind of example uh, from the rules here, uh, which is uh, the Fed flips his badge open. His team covers you as he gets close. You cast Viscera. A half dozen eyeless serpents and wrist-thick tapeworms coil out of your belly and wrap themselves around his face. They bite and suck, rending skin and breaking bones. The team opens fire. <laughs> yes, I think this this is a fairly average session of dread. Yeah, if if people aren't gathered round shooting at you, you know, you're doing something wrong. Uh, but the thing is, in dread, you can probably survive it. And if you don't survive it, you actually become more dangerous. Um, but yeah, yeah. If you've not played dread, it, it, it's it's I, the pitch I've given it at cons before is it's it's Quentin Tarantino's Buffy. Yeah, it, it is. Um, yeah, but monster hunting with no sense of restraint, no sense of morals, and quite a lot of bodily fluids. It is great. 
I do remember it being a lot of fun when I played it, and also lots of D12s. <laughs> yes, yeah, that, that's one of the shticks of the game. It's It uses pools of D12s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Pandemonio came out yesterday at the time of recording. We're going to be releasing this episode in a while, so it might have been out for some time by now. Who's that by? Uh, Raphael Chandler. Um, and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Get, get your hands on it. Raphael, I think, is going to be releasing it uh, publicly as a um, pay-what-you-want game, and is is worth spending money on. I must be. I'm hoping there'll be a dead tree copy I can do. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's doing print on demand. Hey, good, good. I like my dead tree copies. <laughs> yes. Yeah, my my house doesn't have room for them anymore. Neither does mine. So what? <laughs> <laughs> so over to you, Mr. Sanderson. Right, my second one again. We have no one stolen my from my list. This is good. Um, comes from a book that doesn't have. I don't think there's actually any other spells in the book from memory. And I came across this one purely by accident when I was reading up the description of monsters. Um, it's from a supplement that um, can be used for any of the gumshoe horror games, so whether it be the Terrorists, Sphere itself, which are the two that it would normally be used for, um, the Book of Unremitting Horror. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the monster in particular, in this instance, is known as a Dream Terror, which essentially is an insubstantial being which invades the dreams of poor hapless sleepers and starts eating them apart from the inside out. This... Uh, particular ritual is used to force the dream terror to the front and into the physical world. Um, the thing that I loved about it is um, some of the requirements for the spell itself, the, the call of Ningizida. I think, I think that's how it's pronounced anyway. Yeah, you don't want to get that wrong. Yeah, yeah, just like a Kalatu necktie. Just the description of some of the things you needed to cast this was what made me, my eyebrows raise when I was thinking, how the hell are they going to get hold of this stuff? Um, a portion of the amniotic sack of a stillborn child, um, a net woven from human hair, dragon's blood incense, and a piece of snowflake obsidian. Funnily enough, I was thinking, yeah, that's a fairly specific list. A fairly yeah. obscure, fairly hard to get stuff. Scott's got most of those <laughs> on his shelf. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I was going to say, if it involved a dead kid, you would do. <laughs> yes, yeah, I've got spares. <laughs> But yes, the, also then just the image, it's typical horror film uh, gold, really. That you have this, you're casting this ritual over some poor hapless sleeper. And then all of a sudden this being starts to manifest in this call, in this web that um, that is manifest over the top of it. Out of nowhere, he must ripping out their subconscious from, a, um, from another dimension almost. Just again, the, the prerequisites that you need for this thing and just how it manifests, I thought was a wonderful piece of mm-hmm. uh, piece of this gem inside the book. I didn't actually think contained any rituals when I was looking through it. Then so I found across, found this as a side reference. Yeah, but I, I, it's been a few years since I've read that, but I, I picked up the original version of it, which predated Gumshoe. Yeah, well, it had the D twenty yeah. version, yeah. I think. And um, yeah, it's it's creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's some really genuinely disturbing stuff in there. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dream Tour is a fairly tame in comparison. <laughs> right. So. Paul, keep my, my fingers crossed you haven't stolen my last one. No, I definitely haven't stolen your last one. My last <laughs> one is... Um, so my last spell, I'm rather ill-prepared for this. Uh, if uh, if I'd gone through Oz Magica in a little more detail, I would probably have chosen something from there, because there, there are quite a lot of um, mm. very creative spells in Oz Magica. Um, but... 
sort of thinking on the fly, um, I'm going to come up with one that um, speaks of uh, games in, in decades gone past, um, and a game that I own since the, the 1980s, but only got to play, I think, last year. Um, I'd played some of the, the solo adventures back then, but uh, never actually got to play the, the, the proper thing. And I managed to sign up for a, a game with a, a lovely chap at, um, from New York um, who took us through a, a, a game of... Um, tunnels and Trolls. Tunnels and, yeah, tun tunnels and Trolls. <laughs> yeah. Who took us through a game of Tunnels and Trolls. Uh, and um, if I had to pick a, a Tunnels and Trolls spell... They all had such great names, but I guess it would be Take That, You Fiend! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, nice. your magic missile and your fireball. Take That, You Fiend! <laughs> nice. Yeah. I don't know if I've got any more to say about that, but uh, it's such a great, fun game. I'd actually like to, to run some more, I think, but um, yeah, it's just. Uh, it's great. <laughs> is, is there a localised version for the UK called Stitch This? <laughs> there should be. <laughs> It does, it does remind me a little bit of Cobbled Ate, Your ba um, Cobbled Ate My Baby and the, some of the crazy names that they have in there. I can't remember any off the top of my head. Oh, I've not played, read that. I played, there's just a new version mm. of it being kickstarted. Oddly enough, I funded that like everything else on Kickstarter. <laughs> um, but yeah, they announced that should be being sent over to us very shortly. Oh. But So I got to play a game of that at Gen Con as well. Oh, right. So, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. a nice game. Endless fried chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Scott. Okay, well, my, my last one is a bit darker than that. Um, it's from another one of my favourite games, uh, Unknown Armies. Yay! Um, <clears throat> I love and, <laughs> and, and Unknown Armies is full of great spells. Um, I mean, it, it, the, the way magic works in Unknown Armies, so there's, there's a couple of different ways, but we'll concentrate on adept magic. So adepts are basically people who have learned how to use their obsessions to give them power by, by being you know, thoroughly self-destructive with those obsessions. You know, they, they, they see the world entirely through you know, the lens of this obsession. It, it alters the way they think. It's broken down their minds and you know, it's reformed entirely within uh, the purview of, of this thing that drives them, you know, much like me in role playing games. Um, so, um, yeah, th th this one is uh, from a, um, an adept school called Personomancy. Uh, Personomancy are basically people who play games uh, with identity, uh, particularly using masks. Um, but yeah, they, they, they're you know very literal identity thieves, and um, they can you know they they can change their appearance. They can you know put on all sorts of guises, and they can screw with reality in all sorts of identity-based ways. But there's one spell in particular which is just so nasty, um, and um, yeah, I love it for the title. I love it for what it does, and you know, I, I, I love it for the fact that you know it's something that can act as a great kicker in a game. Uh, and it's a spell called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Um, I mean, yeah, it's. It, uh, I'm sure you recognise the reference, but it's a yeah, it's it's a line from Hamlet and the title of a Tom Stoppard play, but. Um, the <laughs> what it does it, it it basically allows the personomancer to create a duplicate of him or herself uh that you know is like them in all ways apart from the fact that you know, it can't cast magic uh it believes itself to be the personomancer uh and is a good way of attracting uh um heat off themselves it's just the way that you create it you get an unwilling victim 
um, and you cut their face off. Uh, you do a magical ritual whereby you, you peel their face off and you turn it inside out and put it back on and, and um, you know, in the process, you know, put the magical mojo in there and the, the person just reshapes into a duplicate of you. Um, and their original personality is still in there somewhere, you know, like this tiny voice trapped inside, just helpless. Uh and you know, I, it it will last basically until the person dies, and there's a chance that they may die during the casting, just from the amount of damage from ripping their face off. Um, but if they survive that, you know, the, the the spell will last until they die, or until someone finds some way of breaking it, which is fairly unlikely because you know, for a start, they've got to realise it's been cast. Um, and you know, the, the breaking spells in you know unknown armies is a bit tricky. There's it's not like everyone's got to dispel magic. Yes. Or like three or four significant charges to make a similar kind of effect of that magnitude, which yeah. is I think what I think it's because that one it was rewritten between postmodern magic and the second ed rule book, wasn't yeah. it? I remember, yes. the, the, I remember it was a hell of a lot harsher in postmodern magic. Well, it's still four significant charges in in the second ed rule book. It bloody well should be given how powerful it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah, but yeah, it's. It, it, I mean, it's it's just the kind of thing that you know will, if it's used during play, it'll have you know huge consequences. The casting of it will be memorable, um, and you know even if it's something that happened in the history you know of uh, of a scenario, you know as the repercussions of it become known, I mean that that's that is just pure horror, <laughs> yeah, body horror, existential horror, and just. <laughs> It reminds me a little of um, something that's just been doing the round on Facebook over the last couple of days, which is the Icelandic trousers. Oh, God, yes. What? Yes. The Icelandic trousers. In, you want a pair? In, enlighten me. I don't know this. Uh, well, this is it's not so much an unwilling victim as uh, you make a pact with somebody. And the one that dies first, um, you have to flay their skin off all in one piece from the waist down. And uh, and then you wear them and you put them fresh onto you. You pull them on like a pair of trousers. Um, and uh, why do you do that, Scott? Uh, shits and giggles. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, and then you you kind of will them to someone else. I think after that. Yeah. Well, I mean, do, 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 do they? Do, yeah, I mean, do you just make the same pack with someone else, and when you die, they cut you know yours off, but you're still wearing the other trousers? Well, and, I can't yeah, imagine I, they last that long, do they? I don't know. Human, a bit human skin, yeah, human skin's pretty tough. Uh, it puts the lotion uh, on the skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you, you come in at the tail end of this and you could, you could be wandering around with a good set of thermals there. Uh, I um, left somewhat speechless. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one for Pedro, I think. Yeah. He's up in Iceland. You should know about this. Yes, yeah, well. I'm, he I'm wrote sure, Mythic I'm, Iceland, so. I'm sure he's got a bear. The horror. <laughs> the horror. Okay, yeah, that's going to take me a bit. That would be why Victor wasn't at, uh, wasn't at Gen Con this year. Ah, reconstructive surgery. Right. <laughs> or he was just breaking a new pair of trousers. Moving <laughs> <laughs> um, on. And to, to, uh, to a nice fluffy game that has... <laughs> <laughs> In between the break, yes, Scott recognises the book I've got on my lap. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a nice fluffy game where it's like Call of Cthulhu with all, without all the cheery optimism. Or um, Gnostic Christianity, the role-playing game, is the other description I've heard for uh, for this lovely, uh, bright, um, happy, happy, cheery game. Cult. Yes. Uh, 
In particular, the second second edition of Cult had two of the most wonderfully artistic books with the phrase <laughs> for mature readers. Or no, for mature players, I was going to say reader, because it was somewhat an irony that they put be able to read the bloody book on the front cover. Yeah. Um, yes, for, for, for mature players and people with very, very good eyesight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was showing this round in a break we had while Scoff was coughing, uh, coughing his guts up and making them into snakes that would attack the rest of us. Um <laughs> And this this particular book called Beyond the Boundaries, The Conjurer's Guide to Death and Time and Space. Uh, the other one being Heart, Mind and Soul, The Conjurer's Guide to Passion, Madness and Dreams. Um, Cult is a wonderful game in which you essentially begin to realise that reality is a lie and that you're in fact trapped in a prison. God, if there was a God, is an a serper that cast the rest of his kind down into this prison to become the one true God because he was a vengeful son of a bitch. And that now he's gone missing, his tomb is empty. Um, that people are starting to escape into the cracks that are developing in his intricately designed prison or his machine. And that they can have gradually become to attain power that was once the reserved for the gods, otherwise magic. And split into, say, nice, nice effects, say, death, time, space, passion, madness, and dreams. They're very specific. It's not like casting fireballs and throwing them down the street. It's a lot more. Not more horrific than that, and also takes a hell of a lot of time to cast these. Uh, to yeah, cast these all rituals. Yeah, all how, rituals. How long do they take? Anything from several days to several months. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're, they're long. Um, I was torn between two when I was looking back through them. Um, one of which I'll give as uh, a side reference in Madness is called Ancient Memory, in which you have to uh, tattoo a body all over. And as you gaze through the tattoos, it's almost like... Um, there was an article on, uh, I think it was Click, the technology program on BBC News, um, that had a website where it was a perpetually um, depthening image that you zoomed in and you oh, saw yes. more image coming in out. It's exact. That's what this tattoo does, in that you just zoom down. You, your eyes are drawn to more intricate detail, and then there's another level beneath that, and you just keep looking and looking and looking, and every, it's just you are driven insane the further the further in you look. But the deeper you go the more memories you have coming back to you of stuff that was hidden by the Demiurge, hidden by um, the prison long ago. But then you forget it as soon as you pull back out. So you have to have someone else that you're narrating to all the way through. I thought that, that, was, a, that was a close yeah. a close second. But the one that attract, uh, attracted my interest is from um, a page that is... Um, to give you an idea, dear listener, of the, the impenetrableness of this book, has no page numbers. It just has a plus on one side and a minus on the other. Um, is c- printed in the same bronzish um, reflective painted paper that the front cover is, and then scratched over as if it's been run over, um, run over tarmac. Combine that, you have very small print that moves uh, moves alignment on the page, changes font, changes size, changes whether it's uh, italic, whether it's bold, and it is bloody impenetrable. But amongst this, uh, the, amongst this horror of typography, there is the death of time. Uh, mainly it's for the text that it say so that it describes it as um, the conjurer can stop the passage of time. He is able to recreate eternity somewhere in our reality, making sure that m- mortality does not reach in. In a cube ten steps wide to high and deep, time will stop. Nothing will have an influence on anything within. Anyone staying inside will never age or die. The disadvantage of this spell is that it will attract the attention of the Guardians of the Illusion. 
And it's just that this you cast a place where time dies, or death dies, as it refers later in, in the text, but also inherently puts that, by the way, casting this is more than likely going to get you killed unless you're really potent enough to be able to withstand, I don't know, like a local lictor coming down and knocking on the door, essentially. That it's got that there is an inherent drawback. It has massive payoff, but has a massive disadvantage as well. But, but I mean, you know, if you were doing a mime act in Covent Garden, I mean, you know, forget an invisible kind of glass box, an invisible glass box where time stops. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you, you, you put a hat outside that, you'd mint it. <laughs> Admittedly, it takes a long time to cast this thing. Um, yeah, but if you're going to be immortal, then <laughs> oh, yeah, true, true. It takes three days to cast that. Um, but if you were doing that out in out in the street, that, well, I suppose. Hang on a minute, there's an idea for a yeah. scenario. Yeah, you turn, so. you turn the casting bit into part of the performance. I was thinking David Blaine might actually have a reason for society. <laughs> he could actually be an inspiration for a scenario. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's trying to free us from the illusion. Yeah, he's not just a... I, the, yeah, the, the, this is why everyone belittles him in the media. It's all part of the plan of our jailers to, to stop us seeing that he is, in fact, one of the true enlightened ones attempting to free humanity from from this this you know, illusion we're trapped in. I, was, I just thought it was because he was a dick, personally. I've seen, oh, some, of his, yeah, <laughs> I've seen some of his interviews, and man, that is a cock. <laughs> yeah, but that's just what the lictors want you to think. Mm-hmm. Always got to have someone you love to hate. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> so again, you are the odd one out. Two, we can never agree on one thing. We always have to have two, and then one stands out. <laughs> I think that may be the only time I've ever heard you watching those words. <laughs> All the people to waste that on. <laughs> oh boy! So on, on that unexpectedly cheery note, <laughs> um, oh, it's the end yeah, of our three. Yes, it is. So. Please come and find us on various social media outlets. We're on uh, Facebook as the Good Friends of Jackson Liars. We're on Google Plus as the Good Friends of Jackson Liars. People use it. Honestly, I keep saying this. People use that. (laughs) And we're on Twitter as the Good Friends of JE. We're also to be found at Mm -hmm. blasphemoustomes.com where you can leave us messages. And sometimes we even get notifications of them. Mm -hmm. Eventually. (laughs) But we don't go looking for them. We do, honestly. Or they find us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So so yes, yes, come and find us too. We're out there somewhere. Yeah, we're not just three voices at the end of a microphone, honestly. So with that, we uh, say goodnight. Cheerio. And farewell. Japanese